0: You're listening to More Than a Song, episode 430. Every week, I open with the encouragement to meditate on truths that will transform your way of thinking. And then I follow it up with encouragement for you to read your Bible for yourself. And I take inspiration from the music that we're already singing along with on the radio to point to a place or a topic in Scripture that we then spend the week exploring. This week, I used Godsend by Riley Clemens to meditate on a large chunk of 2 Corinthians. And let me tell you, it's transforming the way I think. I hope it does the same for you. Are you ready to dive in? Good, me too. But first, let's listen. Oh, every closed door, every single shop door already mentioned that we're heading to 2 Corinthians this week, but how did I decide on that area of scripture from this song? Well, we just heard it in the chorus when it mentioned that sharp thorns may be sent by God. I immediately thought of 2 Corinthians 12, 7 when Paul says this, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Well, what do we immediately see here? Something painful was sent to protect Paul from something far worse, pride. Now, last week I mentioned that a big problem for believers is lifting ourselves up, exalting ourselves. And the solution is to recognize our insignificance in light of God's all sufficiency or his ultimate significance. We will turn the diamond of this thought and we will allow a shaft of light to display a fresh prism as we consider Paul's argument in 2 Corinthians. And that is that how our insignificance reflects the posture of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is a perfect representation of gentle and lowly. Now, here's the thing. We've taken this verse completely out of context at this point. It has given us our starting point, 2 Corinthians, but we need to read a lot more to understand what Paul is saying here. It won't do us any good to pick apart this verse when it begins with the conjunction word so. Your next question should be, so what? So indicates a conclusion. So it says, so to keep me from becoming conceited. So, so indicates a conclusion or a resulting thought or action that is in response to what comes before it. So what we will do is to read this verse in context. That is my favorite Bible interaction tool exercise. I I call these exercises Bites for short, and I loosely define context as the chapter before the chapter and the chapter after So in our case, we would back up to chapter 11 and read through chapter 13. Actually, though, your best bet would be to read the entire letter, all 13 chapters. I would read it at least once straight through before then narrowing your focus. But here's the deal. I'm going to warn you ahead of time. Second Corinthians is hard to read. First of all, it doesn't really flow from First Corinthians like you would think, Uh, Only a couple of issues seem to span the two letters. There is an indication that another letter was written and sent to the Corinthian church in between the two that we have in Holy Scripture. And also, Paul just writes like a stream of thought rather than this neat and tidy sermon. And then the section that we're really focusing in on gets super personal and even sarcastic at times, kind of making Holy Scripture feel less than reverent. And yet... There is so much to glean from its pages. So the best way for you to overcome taking your study out of context is to read the letter in its entirety first. And then once you do that, I do encourage you to consult an overview of this epistle. If you have a study Bible, pull that thing out and read the introductory pages. Or do do that and this. Watch the Bible Project overview video. I'm going to link to it. In the show notes, you can find those at com forward slash 430. Now, these Bible Project videos are fantastic. They really ground you in the overarching message and patterns that you would see in this letter. This week, I did all three. I read through 2 Corinthians, I watched the overview video, and I read through the introductory notes in my study Bible, and also the notes in one of my favorite outside resources, How to Read the Bible Book by Book by Stuart and Fee. Now, these, by the way, that's taking the bites of reading in context, consulting an overview, consulting outside resources, and as always, only do the latter once you've read the text at least once for yourself. It's better even if you read it multiple times. In fact, I love how Fee and Stewart, so in that How to Read the Bible Book by Book, they describe reading 2 Corinthians this way. They say, reading 2 Corinthians is something like turning on the television in the middle of a very complicated play. People are talking and things are happening, but we're not at all sure who some of the characters are or what the plot is. So I say this to encourage you. Even the experts can see that this is not the smoothest of letters to digest, but don't let that deter you. Just let it give you perspective as you read it for yourself. So if you find yourself getting a little confused, you can be like, oh, I kind of expected that, right? So another way to gain perspective is to follow the cross reference. That's another bite, by the way, to Acts chapter 18 to see when the church at Corinth was founded by Paul. You'll see all sorts of names of people in that account that show up in this letter as well. So I I would highly encourage you to do that as well. Now, when I consulted the overviews, I discovered that chapters 10 through 13 really go together. So I focused my study beginning in chapter 10, where Paul begins to defend his ministry. So remember, when I say read it in context, I loosely define it as the chapter before, the chapter, and the chapter after. But in this case, with a little further study, I realize I need to bump it up even one more chapter. So I focused my... Uh, additional study time in chapters ten through thirteen. This is a thread um, that holds the two uh, letters to the Corinthian church together, and that's this Paul's view of true apostleship, that is apparently at odds with the view, at least of at least some of those in the Corinthian church. Listen, listen to this accusation against Paul that um, he includes in chapter ten, verse ten. He says, "They say," and, he, and of course, they are talking about. Paul's letters. They say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. (laughs) Oh my goodness. So what are those who oppose Paul saying here? They're saying like, oh sure. Yeah. He talks big in his letters, but his actual presence is a little lackluster. He's weak and he's not a very good speaker. Hmm, so let's take the bite of considering the opposite here. If they dismiss Paul because they deem him weak and a bad speaker, what is the opposite of that? Well, the opposite would be someone with a stage presence and a communicator that moves people and someone that has power and influence. And that is what these Corinthian believers are valuing here. Now, I grew up in a church where there was a pastor with the gift of evangelism. He was young and good-looking and had a phenomenal stage presence. And he could really, quote-unquote, move people with his presentation style. But here's the thing. He was a terrible administrator. And when he stepped down, it actually took years for the new pastor to bring our little church back into the black. Now, the new pastor... The one who, by the way, was my only pastor until I went to college was not as dynamic, but he was dedicated to the word and to people and to being a good steward. And there would be those who would want to elevate the dynamic personality over the quiet, stable one. But that would be a mistake. We need to seek scripture as to what God deems valuable. And as usual, his is an upside down kingdom. Listen to Paul's response to this indictment against him. Still in chapter 10, reading on in verses 11 and 12, he says, Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. (laughs) I just mic drop right there, right? Uh, Verse 12, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. Now, Paul is saying here, at least we live out what we put down. And by the way, I'm not going to compare myself to those people over there who are commending themselves. Now, you might say, I'm not really sure what commending means. <laughs> okay, let's use the bite of looking it up in a dictionary. And it means to present or mention or praise as worthy of confidence, notice, kindness. So these other people that Paul is supposedly being compared to by the Corinthians are praising themselves as worthy of confidence. Another bite you could take if you're not sure what that verse means is to consult other translations. Look at these verses in a variety of translations to see if that could shed light on this verse. Like, How the New Living Translation says it this way. Oh, don't worry. We wouldn't dare say that we are as wonderful as these other men who tell you how important they are. But they are only comparing themselves with each other, using themselves as the standard of measurement. How ignorant. I do like that translation. So if it is ignorant to use themselves as a standard of measurement, then the question is, what is the appropriate standard? And the answer is Jesus. (laughs) Now, it's not neat and tidy in the verses directly around this argument. But when you read this entire letter, 2 Corinthians, the case has already been made leading up to this chapter that Jesus is our standard of measurement. And it will continue to be made as you keep reading from chapter 10 through 13. But here's the final nail in the coffin of those opposing Paul. Verse 18, Paul says, For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Ugh. And I can't b- help but mention Paul saying in verse 14, you know, uh, guys, we were the first ones to come to you with the gospel of Christ. How can we be so irrelevant? You wouldn't even know about Jesus if we hadn't told you. It, it's really just a mess that's being stirred up here in the Corinthian church. Now, if you, as you continue to read through chapter 10 and into chapter 11, you will see Paul making a fool's speech. He says, he said, I mean, I'm going to speak like a fool. And interestingly enough, taking the bite of understanding a little historical context will help us discover that the fool in Greek theater enables a playwright to speak boldly to his audience and get away with it. (laughs) and That is just what Paul does here. He questions the purity of the the Corinthians' faith. He accuses them of being deceived by Satan like Eve was, and he even does a little name-calling. So in chapter uh, 11, verse 5, we see this and uh, kind of a return to the argument that was made against him a little earlier when he says in verse 5, Indeed, I consider that I am not In the least inferior to these super apostles, even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. Can you hear the sarcasm? Super apostles. And here we get a clue that there are some dynamic folks twisting the gospel. And the Corinthians were falling for it because they were cool and charismatic figures. And I bet these super apostles would have a large following on YouTube with their sermons getting shared and clips and memes, making it into every social media platform. I bet these super apostles would have had their own band and even even be Uh, named a movement now I'm not trying to be overly sarcastic here either my daughters and I were just talking about this it's nice when there is a dynamic and charismatic speaker who also has knowledge and doesn't twist the gospel not every person with a good stage presence is false but like Paul is warning not everyone who looks and sounds good is true he even says this in verse 13, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. This is a huge warning that there are those out there in the in Paul's time and in our time as well that look like servants of righteousness, but are not. Now, Paul does concede that he is not the best speaker, uh, but he will not concede that he lacks knowledge of the truth and he will not concede that he has done everything that he could to share all that he knows with the Corinthian church. Now, my study Bible says it is reasonable to infer that these super apostles were projecting an image of Christian leadership and Christian living characterized by power and personal proficiency rather than the weakness and dependence on Christ's strength that were the hallmarks of Paul's ministry in the image of his Savior. That's so good. And here's the rub. The Corinthians were interpreting Paul's weaknesses as bad. It was simple. They thought God was with the super apostles because of their charisma, and they thought Paul was irrelevant because he couldn't match their charisma. In fact, Paul thought suffering was a good thing. <laughs> Talk about upside down. Now, I encourage you to take the bite of meditating on scripture this week. Think about it. Read it all in context and then let these big ideas roll around in your mind that are popping out here. Either, either these ideas that you see or the ones that are highlighted in the overviews that you're reading and watching. It's okay if someone else points it out. Spend some time meditating on it. And then meditate on the Christian world today. Ask yourself what is celebrated? What is looked down upon? Meditate on your own beliefs. Do a little inward searching. What have you been taught? Have you been taught that the sick person has some sort of hidden sin? Have you been taught that financial success is evidence of God's blessing? Now, I mean, I know that scripture teaches that every good and perfect gift is from God. That's true. But what I don't think we understand is that God just may interpret your pain and suffering as a perfect gift. In chapter 11, Paul restates a few reasons why they should look up to him. Things like coming from the genealogical line of Abraham, but then in the same breath, lists out all the terrible things that have happened to him. Things that they would say meant that he was cursed by God. But these are the very things that Paul chooses to boast in, not his pedigree, but is suffering. In verse 30, he says, If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. And then in chapter 12, he goes on boasting. Fee and and Stewart say, Paul will boast in his non-achievements, thus deliberately and ironically putting his ministry into a context of conforming to the cross. And That's where this is now where we get to our feature verse here in chapter 12. He starts out by talking about visions and revelations that were given to him. Actually, he speaks of what seems to be another man, but it, it's really him. Think of it like one of those social posts where you're um, asking a question for yourself, but you jokingly add asking for a friend. Well, this is kind of what Paul's doing here. So Paul is using this as an example of what the super apostles would boast about. If God gave them a vision, they would use it as proof that they were spiritual and connected. And the way Paul tells it, says it all. Let's read it for ourselves. Chapter 12, verse 1. I must go on boasting. Though there's nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So what you see is what you get. I'm not going to boast about it, but he goes ahead and brings it up. So I want you to consider this. First of all, Paul waits 14 years to say something about the vision. And you can just feel that he's like reluctant to even talk about it now. Uh, He wrote it in the third person. So he's like, I know of a man in Christ. He's talking about himself, but he wrote it in third person, trying to take the focus off of himself. Even when he does describe the vision and Revelation, he doesn't really give any details other than what he heard. And it was so holy that he doesn't even really repeat it. And then just because the Corinthians were not privy to them doesn't mean that Paul didn't have profound divine experiences that transformed his life and ministry. It's that vision of glory that gave him the strength to endure all the suffering. But let's keep reading. I think it will give us greater insight as to why he was so unbelievably dedicated to making sure the Corinthian believers saw God's glory expressed in weakness. And it it was because of a hard lesson. Verse 7. So, To keep me, so this is right after his discussion about these visions and revelations. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. These revelations were great. They were so great that they very well could have led Paul down a path of pride. So God gave him a gift. This gift was a godsend, a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass him. Now, this may make you feel uncomfortable. God allowing an evil spirit to harass Paul for a godly purpose. It it, it makes me feel uncomfortable. I, I think I'm uh, if I really... As I studied it this week, I felt like I was more like the Corinthian believers than I want to admit, thinking that comfortable things are from God and painful things are not. But I must allow Scripture to change the way I think. I want God's perspective. Paul pleaded with God to remove this painful thing. We're not told what it was. For that, I'm glad. I think that's part of the purpose. You can probably name your own thorn. There may be even evil spirits harassing you. There, now, I do want to say there are places in Scripture where we are taught that we can name these evil spirits, resist them, and they must flee. Paul obviously tried that, but God's answer was no. Not a mean no, but like a, like a fatherly no with a purpose. And what was his purpose? Was to keep Paul's pride in check, to remind Paul that, yes, indeed, he is insufficient. We, we talked a lot about God's all-sufficiency last week. I mentioned that our lifting ourselves up, our exalting ourselves is always a problem. Recognizing our insufficiency is more God's style. And I love how verse 7 reads in the King James Version, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given me a thorn in the flesh. So God's answer wasn't just, no, I won't take it away. But his answer was, in the midst of this pain, I am enough. And what does he say? My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. As long as we are exalting ourselves, as long as we're operating in our own sufficiency, we don't truly believe God's grace is sufficient. Our, our very actions scream that we don't need God's grace. So what if every closed door, every single sharp thorn, every answer that didn't make sense, what if maybe they were just teaching us to depend on God's strength in the dark days, all our tears have us crying out to you again. What if maybe every broken place I've been was God sent, was a godsend, just like our lyrics say. Now, in a commentary available for free on blueletterbible.org, and, uh, dot org, and I'll, I'll go ahead and link to it. David Guzik writes, Paul was desperate in his desire to find relief from this burden. But there are two ways of relief. It can come from removing the load or by strengthening the shoulder that bears the load. Instead of taking away the thorn, God strengthened Paul under it, and God would show his strength through Paul's apparent weakness. Oh, I love that. And what was Paul's response that we can emulate in our own difficult situations that God doesn't seem to be removing from us? He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ. Then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for when I am weak, then I am strong. And goes at comments, we can't receive God's strength until we know our weaknesses. We can't receive the sufficiency of God's grace until we know our own insufficiency. And then my Bible study Bible summarizes it like this. One of the major differences between Paul and his opponents concerns their understanding of suffering. For his opponents, Paul's outward weakness and suffering disqualified him from the apostleship. For Paul, it was precisely these matters that qualified him to be an apostle of Christ. Just consider these words of Paul as he continues in his letter down to chapter 13, verse four, speaking of Jesus, for he, Jesus was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. And then he goes on to speak of us, for we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. It just, see, it's just so upside down. Our goal as disciples of Christ is to constantly point to him. The upside down nature of his kingdom is that we do that from a place of weakness. And and that weakness serves to magnify the gospel of grace. Those hard things, those thorns, those weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities perfectly position us to stay low in our insufficiency, drawing all attention to God's sufficiency. They they are truly God's sins. So what's next? Well, read 2 Corinthians this week. Utilize the overview resources that you have at your fingertips, both online and in a study Bible that you may own or books that you may own, to get an overall grasp of themes to explore. Meditate on Scripture to unwind yourself from any misbelief shared by the Corinthian believers that charisma and power and personal proficiency is better than weakness. And allow the uncomfortable places in this letter to transform the way you think. Get low in your insufficiency. Christ's power is made perfect in our weakness, and his grace is sufficient for you. And while you're in God's word this week, let me know how you're doing. Email me, michelle at michellekneezat.com. Hop on Twitter or Instagram at Nizat or on Facebook, michelle L. Nizat is my public page, and let's talk about what you're learning. Now, More Than a Song is a proud member of the NRT Podcast Network. Check out other podcasts in the network and Christian Music Resources at newreleasetoday.com. And I would be honored if you subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to podcasts so that you never miss an episode. But if you sign up on my website at michelleknizat.com that I'm able to email you once a week with the show notes with all of the scriptures I use and links to resources I use in my personal study. Now, my fe- my featured free resource this week is my 3rd 30-Day Music Challenge, which is just to listen exclusively to Christian music for 30 days. And I walk you through it with one-minute videos each day. It's free, so head over to michelleknizat.com forward slash 30-Day Challenge to take the challenge. Change your music, change your life. And with that in mind, I do want to thank my newest subscribers who have subscribed recently, like Anne from Nebraska, Shannon from Texas, Yasinia from California, Audrey from Virginia, and Richard from Georgia Welcome. Now, don't forget, you can listen to the podcast directly on my website at Michelleneesat.com through iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. You can follow on Spotify or through Stitcher Radio or your podcast listening app of choice. And if you haven't left a review yet, please do that today by heading over to lovethepodcast.com forward slash more than a song. Well, that's it for this episode of More Than a Song. Next week, I will be featuring everything and more by Citizens to dive into Scripture. If you liked this episode, however, would you mind sharing it with others? I've made it really easy. With just one click, you can share via Facebook, Twitter, or email. Just head over to michellekneesat.com forward slash 430. While you're there, I'd love to hear from you. Click on comment to join the conversation. Until next time, take time to meditate on God's word and consider his ways.